0: What up everybody, welcome to another episode of Wallet Watch. I'm your host, Brian McCauley. You guys know that uh, Wallet Watch is a platform we put together to talk about all things mortgage, all things money, all things real estate. Uh, Speaking of real estate, we got a special guest for you today. He's one of the fastest and up and coming realtors in Dallas, Texas, and I'm honored to have him on the podcast. Show, my man Chase Terrain. welcome, brother. Appreciate it, appreciate it. Thanks hey, listen, time. dude, I am uh, I'm, I'm really excited about about this. Um, a lot of stuff I want to dig through, but just in case people have been living under a rock and they don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, <clears throat> uh, married, single, kids, business, all that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, so it uh, all started back in Arlington, Texas. Nice. At, uh, Arlington, Lamar. Um, grew up in Arlington. My family's still there. Um, then went to Texas Tech University, and was pursuing guns the, up. Yeah, you know, was pursuing medicine um, mm. my whole life. I wanted to be a physician. And so went to Texas Tech because they had one of the best health sciences right. programs. Right. Um, went to Tech to play baseball. That was kind of the oh. whole trajectory. And then was going to be a walk on. They kind of wanted me to go to Midland or Weatherford to play a year and develop a little bit more because I was a little guy. And um, I, I, didn't feel right doing that. Mm. I knew baseball, I was never going to go pro and I wanted to start making money. So I said, like, you know what, I'll just go start my, my career. Um, so called it quits there, went to tech, joined a fraternity, you know, that opened up so many windows and networking opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so pursuing medicine and then 2019 came, I graduated in 2019 in my undergrad bachelor of science and was, that was August, September, 2019 started yeah. prepping for the MCAT the rest of the year then COVID just slammed us. Wow. Uh, that, I mean, COVID was 2020, I think. Yeah. Um, So I was with Carson, who's my wife. Yeah. Um, we were, we were together to then since sophomore year. So we kind of, we're starting to reevaluate this whole physician um, and my love for it. And yeah. to be honest, I just kind of fell out of love. All of high school, I was at the hospital doing a special program. And, you know, I just kind of fell out of love with it. And, you know, politically and everything going on with sure. that kind of that world. So I said, you know what? I don't think I want to be a physician anymore. And uh, Carson and her mother, her Carson's mom, Camille, who works for yeah. me now, yeah. she was a realtor with Keller Williams and Blubbuck Gamarillo. And she goes, I swear you need to get your real estate license. Like She was like, I'll pay for it. I'll do whatever. Get it. I'm like, you're crazy. Right. I've got $100,000 worth of student loan debt right now. Right. And you want me to go become a realtor? And um, so I thought they were kind of crazy for that. And then I did the test um, while COVID was kind of going on and um, passed it. And then um, I said, during 2020, I guess we can back up a little bit. During 2020, yeah, I got my master's in business. Okay. I stayed there because there was nothing else to do. Sure. So Carson and I lived with her parents in Lubbock while I did my master's program at the Rawls. And it was pretty much all online. I love it. I thought that would help me Um, get a better job, to be honest with you. Um, Something in medical sales is what I was looking for. Mm.
0: And
1: Mm. then some of it was geared toward real estate. And so I was like, you know, this real estate thing's always just been in the back of my mind. And um, I had my license. I bought my first property and had it leased out immediately in Tech Terrace, 26th in Boston, had it for three years, Um, let my fraternity brothers rent it out for me. And then I had um, some Kappas in there and, um, so I started to see the passive income and yeah. how this really works at, I think I bought it when I was 20 years old and um, got that done. And then I started really doing the end of 2020. Okay. We moved here um, in November. Okay, And I signed kind of with Debbie Halliday and yeah, yeah. Frisco. We lived at the Star in an apartment there and just honestly living off of Carson's income. She was the only one really bringing an in income. I just graduated college and didn't have a job. I'm gonna, we moved down here with- um, A dollar and I, a dream. Yeah, I mean, we had a savings and, you know, so she, shout out to her. She provided for us for like the first six months while I was getting my kind of career going with Ebby Halliday and mm-hmm. then 2021, right around the corner, January, it was right. sink or swim. I was doing three to four open houses a week and just yeah. absolutely grinding 16 hour days. And it started just snowballing to where we are today, exactly. to be honest with you. Um, so that's kind of how I got into real estate. It's kind of wild, but.
0: Um, Dude, that's an incredible story. I mean, obviously you went from, you know, you transitioned so quick from like the medical field and sales and then COVID, those are wrenching. And that's a weird time to get in the industry, period. You don't know any different. And then obviously you just take your skill set, right? That you're going to apply to something over here, went this way. Um, Got it all going and figured out. Obviously, you know, in the LBK, you got a place and now people are paying the mortgage for you. You're making money. And so the light bulb starts to go. And then you guys slide here and you get going. Um, And 21 was, I mean, sink or swim. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of things over my career, but that stretch was one of the hardest. And for you to be brand new to it and obviously brand new back to the city and knocking it out is impressive. And that's obviously, you know, one of the things I want to talk about. I'm, I'm super impressed with your work ethic, especially at your age. Uh, you know, that's, that lacks in a lot of folks, but especially like when folks are young during a hard time. And so when you say you start working open houses and you just connecting the dots with people, I mean, you really boomed your business quickly. Um, talk about that. Was most of it organic from open houses? Was it just like your social connection? How did you, how did you move through it and boom so quickly? Cause that's rare. I think it was
1: so much was thrown at me so quickly that I, like I said, I had to sink or swim. Hmm. Um, and having that many people, it was open houses. I really do believe, you know, a lot of my business is built around open houses, um, but also just relationships and just being good to people. And, yeah. you know, it, like I said, just good communication, figuring out what other agents aren't doing well and capitalizing on that. But to be honest, all open houses, I mean, back in 21, we had 50 to hundred people coming through an open house. If I can't convert one sure. out of a hundred people walking in, then I shouldn't be in real estate, right. to be honest. And it turned out that I was converting five to 10 uh-huh. out of just one open house. Uh-huh. And, you know, whether they bought then or waited or I got them in a lease. Um, so open house is a big thing and leases. Okay. Um, at our office, I turned into that, I mean, I joined where I was like twenty three, twenty four. Right, leases are the, great. I was that lease boy. Yeah, uh, All these top dog agents were like, you got a lease client, just throw it to Chase, throw it to Chase. Well, mm-hmm. after that one year lease was over, they are calling me to buy and, So that was another thing that I really capitalized on was leases and leasers are always going to be buyers one day. Um, So just following up with them and staying with them. So open houses, leases, and just being readily available at any time back in 21 and 22. If a home hit the market at 7am, you better be there at 715 with the client or you're FaceTiming them from out of state. So like I said, just being readily available. And I think that's what I, really capitalized on. Yeah, I
0: think that's good for everybody watching. I mean, you know, he's been in the business for a few years and he's one of the, you know, top producing people in the city. Uh one of my favorite partners so far, but it just back to basics. I mean, open houses are so simple and old school, but they're so effective and I want people to understand like, dude, you can work those. You can connect with people. It's one of the best ways to generate leads. Um and I just think people they can't be too good to just put in the put in the work, to connect and shake hands and to make things happen. I think that's that's crucial. Um, so at what point for you, like, okay, you're thrown into it, 21's bananas, you got 10, 20, 30 people coming through an open house, you're converting, connecting. When did it become more, a little bit more, um, strategic? Meaning like at the time the market was booming and giving everybody a ton, but obviously it slowed down. And one of the things that, you know, the market is corrected and now it's obviously on the way back up, which we're going to talk about towards the end. Um, but everybody had a lot of business at that time. But the correction happened. And what happened is it corrected a lot of people and they went by the wayside. You yep. continuously stayed the course and stay on the path. And so when did you start to learn um, outside of, hey, tons of open houses? How did you keep the momentum? What did you start to do after that to stay organic, but stay like going forward? I think it, it back to 21.
1: Yeah. Back to the basics. You need to be, you know, I was running around my head cut off, but also still doing the basics because mm. I I think a lot of agents in 21 and 22 left the basics because business was so quote unquote easy. Sure, You know, you got a listing and it was, you had it sold in 24 hours. Um, so you didn't really do the basics. You didn't send out postcards. You didn't send out follow-ups. You you started to really not do anything else because it was so easy. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say, I know that's kind of a bad word to put it, but sure, I still did everything that, you need to do when the market corrected. You know, you need to be reaching out to other agents, connecting, networking, postcards, mailers, uh, market updates to you know just farming and right. you know utilizing your sphere. And I think that is what really helped me with the market correction um, because my book of business has stayed the same since twenty when I got in in twenty one. Um, but I do know a lot of people who got in and got out within three or four months because it just wasn't sustainable and they weren't doing the basics. They thought they could get their license and, you know, sell a couple houses and real quick and make quick money. And mm-hmm. we're now learning that you can't do that.
0: Yeah. And so. I think, I mean, every good industry goes on its run, whether it's real estate or mortgages or stock market, or whatever you're in it for a long period of time, you're going to get that two or three year where it's just booming, right? It's nuts. But when it all settles down back to your point like hey there's a checklist on things you need to do and you need to do it all the time and be effective at it and so that way you'll stay consistent be able to get through the tough times make a name for yourself continue to be successful which is what you have done um one of the things about your business i've noticed which is really really cool you're an excellent networker um you have a lot of really good connections and i think that's something people that have to understand like hey your sphere is important who you hang out with who you know and connect with Open houses is one thing. You and I have worked together um, on some higher end clients. Walk me through outside of the open houses, being available here and there. How did you start getting plugged into this higher level, higher end athlete group of folks um, so quickly?
1: Well, the higher end, I would say, um, really, I've been, you know, it took time for the, the higher end. I mean, it took the full two, three years that I've been in real estate to really earn that. And I think that's another topic that we can talk about here in a minute Please. is, um, age and the luxury market and just mm-hmm. in general. But as far as like my, um, professional athlete clientele, that, um, it all goes back to one guy, Simi Fajoko. He, um, him and his wife found me on social media and they reached out and then I helped them buy a couple properties. And then he referred me to as many cowboys in the locker room. Um, and then he got traded um, to Pittsburgh and then Pittsburgh traded him to the Chargers. And then that's, he introduced me to Jalen, who we're closing on tomorrow. Jalen Guyton. Um, shout out Jalen. Yeah. Shout out to Jalen. Great dude. But taking care of them, keeping them tight, um, you know, not, you know, there's a lot of agents out there that I think fanboy, fangirl over the NFL clientele, you've got to act like you've been there and done sure. that and, you know, treat them as another client. Um, be, be, ain't no friends with them. Um, That kind of snowballed into more athletes and more athletes and more athletes. And another thing with athletes is they are just another client. They just have a bigger pocketbook. sure. And so, and they're young. They're very, very young like me. So we're very relatable in finances. And I think they, they trust me with how I handle my finances. So it helps them trust me with their finances as well, because a lot of guys come in they sign, you know, three or $4 million rookie deal. They're making great money. They can afford, I say it over and over again, they can afford the two, $3 million home, but it is just not worth it when you're 22, 23, right out of college to go buy a two, $3 million home when you signed a $4 million deal. Mm-hmm. So I kind of go, I talk to the financial advisors, I talk to their agents and we're all in the same game plan of what, how I want to grow their portfolio. So start little, you know, and work it up and that's how, how I kind of take care of them and it, it works and it's effective and their family. Yeah.
0: I know it's great. I mean, I just feel like, you know, you made that connection. So everybody's just paying attention to this. We'll, we'll talk about social media. We'll lean into that. Cause you said it was, Hey, one person found you online liked you, liked your style, reached out to Connected. And that obviously has turned into 10, 15, 20 plus relationships, one athlete to another. You take excellent care of them, you relate to them. So on the social media piece, let's transition to that. Cause obviously uh, I want everybody to, you know, you got to make sure and just stay consistent out there. And you never know chase is a result of many things, but obviously social media exposure. And so, um, you know, how much do you use social uh, for yourself? How much for business? How much do you get from it how important do you think it is in our industry let's spin around on that for a minute
1: so i believe in social media one thousand percent but i think i have a different spin on social media what i use social media for may not be what another agent does or you or whoever right i use social media as a credibility tool not so much a lead generation tool now does it generate some yes that's just natural and organic but when you go to a listing appointment, the first thing they're going to do after you walk out, in my opinion, before they even interview you is, um, or even they're buying, they're gonna research you and see what kind of person you are on social media, what yeah. kind of houses you're you know, surrounding yourself in, what you sold, what you haven't sold, stuff like that, and who you're representing. They're gonna look you up. So I think having a very professional um, platform or presence sure. is very, very important. Um, you know, I, I I see some agents and I talked about it on my podcast, you know, they're out at the bars and, you know, you, your your first impression is everything and yeah. one story or one wrong clip can ruin, you know, your potential listing or that buyer that wanted to reach out to you or hire mm-hmm. you. So I use it as a credibility tool to not really get me the appointment, but when they look me up to solidify, yep, we're hiring him. Yeah. That's what I use it for. Um, I do post here and there on that. I, I used to, when I first started, I I did do a lot of like reels and TikToks and stuff of, you know, home tours. But I, I really did learn to stop that really quick. Um, I started focusing on quality tours and reels and mm. delegating, I, you know, I didn't have much, I didn't have any money then. So I was doing it on my iPhone and stuff. But as I grew and got, you know, did more sales, I started hiring professionals to do it for me. And I think that really helped. And I think quality over quantity. Um, and I don't know what your take is on that. You can give me your advice, but when I go on Instagram and I see someone with 200,000 followers and they've got great reels, but the sales aren't backing up, the volume isn't backing up the, The tours Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. Now that might be completely taken the wrong way, but it's the truth. Sure. And I didn't want to be known as that TikTok guy or that Instagram reels guy. Correct. Some people will, you know, argue with me on that and that's fine if everybody has their opinion. But it's working for you, man. It's your your brand. It works well. What works for me isn't going to work for somebody else. If they generate all their business on social media through TikToks and Instagram reels, then keep doing it. Do what works for you. Right. It just didn't really work for me and didn't sit well with me. Um, but I don't know what's your take on it.
0: You know, I, I agree. I mean, I think obviously, you know, everybody's got their take on social. I mean, first off, you got to be on there. If you're not in your absent, dude, you're missing out on a ton. I think your approach on how you want to do it to maximize the business is based on the person based on their personality. I also think it's based on their target audience. Um, What I like about yours, it's professional and sharp. It's the same way that I feel about mine. I mean, buying a house, selling a house, whatever is the biggest investment of anyone's life. And they want to make sure the person on the other side of the transaction that's helping them is professional. And obviously that's a reflection of who you are when your stuff is online. I am similar in nature to where I think that... um, your online presence in your videos is a Sports Center highlight reel of who you are. Exactly. Meaning, like, hey, this guy is the best quarterback in town. I promise you, trust me. Or if I show a sixty-second reel of Mahomes throwing a bunch of touchdown passes, class act character, <laughs> hanging out with his family, getting it all done, it edifies and echoes what people already think in the digital world, where people want to just double check to make sure this person is authentic and real and professional. As they say, I agree. The first thing that they're going to do yeah. is go and check that out. And so I like your approach on that, especially too when there is. I agree that people mix too much business and pleasure all in one and why people don't want to be judgmental. Some people, especially when you get clientele like yours, um, it could be a turnoff. And so you don't have to be fake, but I think you have to be protective and mindful is what I tell people. There's a difference of being fake. There's a difference being too tight. You can be somewhere in the middle, but at the same time, like, you know, what if your doctor was online doing this stuff and, you know, things here and there. And so I just think professionals get that. But also, like, if someone's going to take the approach, the smarter approach is always to be a little bit more and professional and protective of it, Um, especially when you're trying to use that as a springboard to get you some big business. And then obviously people are looking you up to figure it out. I mean, just think about if you were a human, you had three people to choose from and you check one, two, and three. And obviously this one was flat. This one was party. This one was professional. It speaks volumes. And I think especially for you, as you continue to move up the ladder and widen your net on people and business and athletes and high-end people here and there, those people, um, they want to be taken seriously. They want to be with somebody that gets it, right? right. And they're going to double-check your stuff online and who you are first and make sure you get it before they hand over the opportunity for you to help them. Um, and I think social is great. I think it's constantly evolving and changing. But I think the cool thing for you is like social media can generate leads. I do do, do the same thing. It's not a lead generator for me. It is. It does but it's more of the authoritative of, hey, I want to double check and see who the mayor of the city is when it comes to home loans. And so when I put that out there, people watch it and you can see the professional piece. You can see nuggets. You can see tips. You can feel me in the videos. And I try to articulate it in a way that's not nerdy and flat. That is um, in layman's terms that people will connect with. But I always want people when they take away something on my videos to feel like they're smarter, they're better, and they got something out of it by watching. So mine is always kind of like teaching people the game of how it all works, but also saying like, dude, I am on your side and I want to make this happen for you. And so the feeling of professionalism, but also like, I want to know what I'm doing. And I think you do a good job of that online. You do an excellent job in person, obviously taking care of clients. I mean, you're really, really buttoned up and sharp in that area. Um, And so I agree with the social media piece, okay to be diverse, smarter to be protective, especially obviously when you got people like you. Um, Yeah. And
1: I think another thing on top of that is, yeah, just market knowledge. I mean, education and being knowledgeable will separate yourself from thousands. Right. Maybe 90% of realtors out there, to be honest with you. I know oh. it's a crazy statistic, but I, when I do an open house, I promise you I know everything about that neighborhood. I know everything about the comps. I know price per square foot. It, it's not my listing. It may not be my listing, but I promise you I know everything about it. And that's one thing I, uh, preparation, so that when I do get hit with those questions at the open house or someone hits me, you know, with a hard question and Highland Park Village out of nowhere, I'm ready to go. Oh. And I think that's always be prepared with multiple neighborhoods, you know, whether you want or whatever you want to focus on, whether oh. it's Lakewood Park Cities, Preston Hollow, to be honest, no mall, uh, no South Lake and West Lake too, because right. you'll have Fort Worth clients and North Fort Worth. So yeah. I like to know a lot about each market. I don't, I mean, I do focus on some, um, but I think- Just being knowledgeable and you know, that that'll make you look really good. I think every industry knowledge is
0: power. It's attractive, right? People want to work with people they like and trust, but you can like and trust somebody when they're professional, but they know what they're talking about. And you feel good, the takeaway is there. And they know that they will do better with you versus without you. And I think that's a key thing for you on the knowledge piece. Um, With knowledge and learning market comes something I want to spend some time on with you is work ethic. So, your work ethic is really good. Does that come from when you were an athlete, when you were in medical school? Like, where does that come from? Because it's hard to come by in general, but it's also hard to come by for a younger generation. And so I'm curious as to where that came from. I
1: th- I really think it's genetics, to be honest, I think, and just seeing and just growing. But, you know, um, I come from a Hispanic background of, you know, having a little bit of that already in me. Mm-hmm. Um my grandparents they own a restaurant and they come from the restaurant industry and i don't know what it is but i think something from the restaurant industry and got to me with the customer service side of things got it don't know why or how but i used to spend a lot of times in el paso during the summers busing tables waiting tables um since they owned a restaurant in el paso still do um and so i just got to learn a lot and i've always wanted to you know obviously make money but I, I love talking to people. There's nothing I like doing more than talking to people and just getting to know people. I don't care who they are, what right. they do, how much money they make. It's just fun. And so I, you know, starting early before I could even drive, I was busing waiting tables out there every summer oh. um, while playing baseball. And then, you know, when I got to tech, I was always I mowed a lot of yards in um, Arlington for friends and family oh. and stuff like that. So they'd pay me to mow their yard. When I got a truck, nice. I had a lawnmower and a weed eater and a blower. It's all I needed and that's what I did a lot of the summers. And that led to Lubbock, um, probably my junior year, Um, I started a company there too. It's just me, my truck, and what I had, my tools. And I generated a very big book of business very quickly, too much that I could handle. So I had to kind of delegate some of that work. So I learned how to delegate really early while I was in school and the summer's mowing all these yards. And then I eventually got to the point where I graduated and I just kind of sold it off to another big landscaper in the city, just sold kind of the portfolio, nothing crazy, but that got me my first taste, but I've, I've always just kind of been a hustler and I sold cinnamon toothpicks and gum and everything back in junior high elementary. I was always selling something at school and I don't know why I thought I should have been a physician. Uh, when I had that kind of sales um, background, and my parents always told me I needed to probably be in sales, right. so it just it worked itself out. To yeah. be honest with you, and I'm I'm glad I did. I'm have not looked back once. I love real estate. I love sales. I love I love connecting people too. Connecting clients with other clients, just like you do. You know, you connect me with these people that I connect with these people. It's just crazy how this world and networking and connections can. Um, and how small of a world it really
0: is. Yeah. Well, I mean, work ethic is a blue-collar staple in in industry, man. I mean, it's very attractive. It's going to serve people well, no matter what. You cannot beat hard work day in and day out. Yes, at some point you want to work smart, not just hard, but working hard is, um, it'll produce a lot lot of fruit. And whether you're mowing lawns or doing loans or selling houses or doing medical sales or whatever, that work ethic is really impressive. It's important. (laughs) And I think it's gotten you where you've Got into today. uh, I think that's a big key component of it. And so I'm very impressed with that one, just because it's hard to do. But again, too, in a younger age, and I think when people went through the COVID stuff here and there, I mean, to your point, so much business came so easy that you didn't have to worry about working for it. It was just, how do you manage it? And now it's flipped. And obviously you showed your true colors and you, you belong here. You're setting the stage. I'm super impressed. Um, You know, my 19 years in the game, honestly, I, I don't meet too many people, especially that are young with the work ethic. And so, you know, for you, you're probably, Honestly, top five dudes I've ever met. Yeah, your age, a little higher, lower, or whatever. With the work ethic, super impressive. Keep it up. Sure. Um, thankful to obviously have met you. Thankful to be working with with you. One of the things you added to your portfolio is if you had time, but I haven't been on there, but I hope to. It's just super impressive. Talk to me about your podcast. Uh, name of it when you started it. Where did that come from? What's the purpose behind that?
1: Yeah, so I just kind of started a podcast called Chase the Deal. Mm. Kind of fits the name. Nice. <laughs> Um, I've been thinking about doing this podcast for about a year now. Me and Ken Callahan, he works for a public title. We yep. have a very close relationship. Um, we talk probably five times a week. Mm-hmm. He's like family to me. Um, and that just happened through business and you know that relationship and um, how they take care of me and how I take care of them. And so we've, we've, we always talk about real estate topics. We talk about everything. And then we're like, we should really start a podcast. And this was about a year ago. And then I started to see kind of, you know, the clientele I work with and the network. And I'm like, well, we, we've got the guests, we've got everything ready to rock and roll. So let's do it. And then, you know, you get busy and, you know, you sure. don't take it serious. Sure. And I finally, one day I just, I just had it. I was like, you know, what, we're going to do it. And I think, you know, waiting and procrastinating, thinking you're going to you know, find a better studio or find better quality, this or that, that was kind of in my head. I'm a perfectionist and
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm trying to learn to kind of take it down a little bit because I wanted the best setup. I wanted the best equipment. I wanted the best producers. So, you know, that's just me telling myself lies. I should have just picked up a microphone and started talking. And I think that's what keeps a lot of, um, a lot of people setting them back is just, just do it. It's not going to be perfect. Um, Our first episode, we had Damone Clark on, he plays for the Cowboys. Uh, we learned a lot from it. You just got to do it. And yeah. then you go back and watch it, and you're like, dang, I did that wrong, that wrong, that wrong. The episode two, it gets better each time. Sure. Um, but that's with anything in life. Right. Um, nobody likes really being in front of a camera. And once you, the more you do it, the more comfortable you are with it. And so I think, you know, if you're out there and are wanting to be on camera, just set up your phone in front of you and talk, you know, whether it's real estate or you're selling cars or, whatever you're selling, loans, you do a great job at it. I I don't know too many lenders that do what you do on the social media side of things. So I really respect that. And I, that's why we work well together. Um, but yeah, that's that's that. Yeah. I mean, I
0: think your podcast is dope, dude. I think it's going to be an extra platform for you. you got a great personality. It's just another way to um, show a different side of yourself. I think people enjoy listening to you and talking to you, but also get more personal on the podcast. But I think for you, it can be whatever you want. It could be clients, I think it can be a recruiting tool. I think it's a place to go after people and interview big ticket clients, big ticket potential business partners to have them on. But I think it's gonna to continue to spread your brand. Um, yeah, that's
1: what I really that's another reason what I didn't say is we I wanted to be able to show me like on a podcast on a different setting, not uh-huh. so uptight and formal with business. I want yeah. people to, you know, be able to see me comfortable talking to other people as well. Um, and you know, the clients, you know, that we work with and maybe that can grow business as well, but it's fun. I really enjoy doing it and talking to people and getting to know their lives and their backgrounds and their stories. So what better way to do it than a podcast?
0: Yeah. Smart dude. Um, okay, cool. So let me kind of transition a couple things with you. So talk to me about your feeling right now. What's your feeling and your projection Dallas specific DFW proper for 24 and 25, where do you think things are headed? Uh, What's the messaging to the sellers out there, to potential buyers? What's your feeling? Because we're all starting to see the energy. We're starting to see it heat up quick. And I know you're everywhere all the time, which I love, but what is the next 18 months look like in your eyes?
1: I think if you're a first time home buyer, you need to be buying within the next month or two. Um, We're seeing multiple offers on homes that are priced right in the right locations. There are multiple offers I had a client. You know, we're interested in this property little under 2 million in Lakewood, went under contract in four days, three days, multiple offers. And that's in the luxury market. Um, so you can only imagine what's going on in the five, six, seven $700,000 range. But I think we are going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. And then Fed just announced their holding rates this, what is that 3 days ago they're holding temporarily
0: mean, temporarily they're going to they'll, they'll they'll let it loose may or june and then just it'll continue to slide downhill but it's not quite ripe enough and ready so you think may or june yes okay i think they're going to try to hold inflation for a few more months, it's not quite as cool and steady as they want. I think they need that for a few more months. One, I think it's the right thing to do. Everybody was
1: planning March, April, right? To begin with?
0: I just think um, it's not quite there. I think it's 80% there. And I think what they want to see is two or three more months of just like even Steven cooling off, things are okay because we all know what's going to happen when it flips the biggest way to boom the economy and make money go is to lower interest rates in America and everybody takes off quick. And if they do it too quick, it's going to push things back up and inflation is going to flame back up again. And it's going to like cause the monster that they're trying to bring down. I also think it's not as bad because to your point, it allows for a window for people out there right now to get a house where they have an opportunity. And I think that's important piece of like a 699 rate is a great rate. The 599 rate you want is also good, but things don't stay stable all those houses go away. All those houses go up in price. You're fighting against 10 people here and there. So I actually don't mind that piece in the sense of it's going to give some folks out there that once it really starts... Right. They're what's out of your game. What's
1: your projection on how much of a rate cut are we looking at? A quarter of a point, or
0: how? Yeah, I think it's just going to be layered. I think they're doing a quarter of a point anywhere from three to six cuts from June this year to maybe through the election in June the following year. The projection of the bottom is somewhere at the end of summer 2025. Some people say five and a half. Some people say four and a half. So I split it. I'm like four nine nine. Um, that's probably the trend of where people are going to go, but there are variables. What's going to happen with the economy? What's up with the election? So I think they're going to be structured with it. It's got to go that direction. Um, I think they're just hanging tight because once they do it, they're not going to undo it. And they just don't think they want to undo it that quick. And again, because things aren't on a scale of a 1 to 10, they were a 4. And I think in like three weeks, it jumped to like a 7 or 8. It went from like yeah. Christmas chill to like first, second week of January. When it was like go. And then it's like double go. And now it's like, oh my God almost every other house is in a multiple offer already. And I think to your point, it's like people gotta understand the old saying I say, which is like marry the house and date the rate because you won't be able to even get the house. You can refinance and get it all done. I think that's crucial that you're seeing that, but like we saw this in COVID, it's not gonna be that extreme. It'll be 50% of that, but people need to be aware of that, especially people that, you know, don't have money and need help.
1: Well, I think the longer people wait, you know, they're renting, 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 and the longer they wait thinking rates are gonna drop, they don't have as much cash to play with. So then they're going to end up having to sign another year lease. So that's going to put them in 25, right? Well, rates, if you think they're going to be 499 and 25, it's going to be even worse than right now. So then they're going to sign, an, they're going to re-sign their lease for another two years. And then they're going to look back and be like, man, at the beginning of 24, we could have been in a house and had two to three years worth of equity now in this property. But instead we're still renting. Sure. And now they're, but how long do you think? So I think what's going to happen is, is, spring and summer is gonna be hot, we're gonna go back to the multiple offer situation, even if we get in low sixes, high fives, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. just because people, educated people know that when rates go down, they don't wanna compete. So they're just gonna go ahead and buy the property. But do you think closer to the election, maybe a month or two before election, do you think they're gonna hold, or do you think a certain party is going to drop them significantly in hopes of
0: a reelection? I don't think they're going to intentionally drop them that hard prior to. I think it could potentially be part of a strategy to win over some folks to make it all happen. But the truth of the matter is, if they drop them that hard that fast, it's only going to cause a surge and a spike, and it's going to cause more problem, I think, that is then solution. I think the tiered-down effect is the right move. Um, it's, it's protected. It gives everyone time. Um, do I think they'll pull the plug that hard? No. Will they give an additional rate cut and maybe do... 75 bips versus 25 at one point in time? Maybe, right? Maybe, but we all got to see where things are at. The other component of that is you and I know, dude, we're in Dallas, the state of Texas, yeah. arguably is the best state, if not one of the top two or three. Um, regardless of how people feel, political division, economic d- division, quality of life, people are coming here. And so rates in the sixes are still doable and they're fair. Historically, it's great. Like COVID rates, 299, 399, they weren't real. Well, we just got out of it, seven, nine, nine, eight, not real. The real center component of stability is in the fives, maybe the sixes. Yeah. But that market's not going to stabilize, to your point, for two and a half or three years. And so people are going to stay in the rental race. They're paying a mortgage. They're just not paying their own. But to your point, they're missing out on the up equity swing, which I tell people like, houses are going to appreciate it eight, nine percent a year. And so it's like you buy that house, you know, 24 months from now, your house is worth 15 percent more. Refi the rate after the fact. Eat a couple payments extra $200 a month for 12 months is 2400 bucks. Well, rental rates, uh, interest
1: rates go down, rental rates go up. Correct. But That's, it's also demand Good yeah. goes
0: up and what people have to pay attention to outside of the rate and the timing piece. Real, real estate is buy and wait. It's not wait to buy. It yeah. always has been. But also population demand, yep. incoming people, way more humans than houses. And so there's just natural economic demand there. So I agree. If you are a buyer that needs help or doesn't want to get caught in the rat race, you probably have about June um, if you're past that, you can still get it. It's just gonna be a, a juggling act and much more difficult to get. And I'd rather get the house now and watch the activity upswing and refi, where well, you may wait a year till the rates are good, but at the same time you pay at the tip top and you could have made that money versus saved it. Um, yeah.
1: how How long do you think it's going to take for us to neutralize our inventory issue? <sighs> Gosh, that's such a hard question.
0: Five years, Yes. Years. I mean, I think it's multiple years. I think you're looking three to five years because they're behind me. New construction, they can build quickly and they can catch up okay. Just the problem is, is that's, again, I, it's a population issue. Because you have such a surge of people and businesses coming here, no one can keep up. And then you drop the interest rates down and it pulls even more people off the sidelines. So the next 18 months is just a wild run just to get a house. Then if it stabilizes, because rates actually stabilize, maybe they can catch up. But there's a huge shortage. Yeah. Um, but even if they get going here, to your point, like until the people and businesses stop coming here, we in Dallas and DFW are gonna fight that for a long period of time. When are people gonna stop c- coming here? Probably never.
1: Well, my next question to that was, are you seeing more uh, clientele going back into the office and having to relocate back?
0: Uh, It's a good question. I think a lot of companies have gone back to a hybrid model. I like the hybrid model, meaning like being at the office a couple of days a week to train, to build culture, to hang out and connect with your teammates is good. But also, honestly, people that are responsible and can work from home, dude, it's a benefit. Let them work from home. It saves them an hour or two in the drive. They don't have to get ready. Quality of life is a little bit better so they can take care of their kids or their pets or run errands and get it all done. What I find is the people that have issues with coming into the office are normally the people, um, outside of the schedule piece or the people that like
1: don't want to come in
0: the office and fully commit because they're probably not fully committing from the house. And it feels uncomfortable because it kind of like shows them that they're not fully committing, but we've got multiple people on our team. And I know it's like, dude, they'll work from the house. they sweats at seven in the morning, the same they would for a suit. I think the difference is the culture and the training, meaning like people need to train and connect. There's nothing like having a buddy sitting next to you, shooting it, having coffee, getting it, hanging out, listen to scripts, talking on the phone and clients Also, just having lunch and nachos, you build a rapport and the culture piece. Outside of that, good teams, people have expectations, metrics, they meet it. I think, hey, if I can save somebody, they can work from home three days a week. Saves them two hours each day driving back and forth, stopping at six hours. Like, dude, that's almost a full business day that I get back. So it's like they're working six days a week in five days because they're not fighting traffic. Shout out to all the women that are freaking an hour and a half just to get ready for work. I'm like, save yourself that time, save yourself the drive time, save yourself the kid time. Yeah. And their quality of life is better because they control the narrative. And when that lifts people's spirits, they like where they work. They have more purpose. They appreciate the employer. So I think all of that is fine. It just comes down to setting an expectation of like, we just got a job to do and numbers to hit and we got to do it together. And most people don't really care. I like one or two days a week, culture, nachos, training just to keep the connection. But I think it's shown people can work from home from Zoom or whatever. The ones that want to work there all the time i don't think it has to do with the comfort of the house i think it has to do with the maybe not hitting all, all cylinders all the time and it's yeah. easier to you know uh be seen and not doing all that stuff but that war that war works itself out o- over time um couple last things i want to button up for you dude so so at what point what's your plan for you like if you continue to grow at your pace you are one person with a great team around them to get it all done but you're going to outkick the coverage. So what's the next 12, 24, 36 months for you look like?
1: That's what I've been that's my whole business plan for this year is figuring out, you know, who I'm going to surround myself with and I've for the past year that was one thing that I've struggled with and I'll admit it is, you know, delegating work. I'm horrible at it's delegating. Hard. I I don't know if it's a trust thing. I just feel like I I want it done a certain way mm-hmm. and I'm, if I want it done that way, I've got to do it. And so I'm really pulling back from that and I'm letting more people, you know, take on you know, certain items and tasks that I need. My my goal is to definitely um, grow more of a team. Okay. I'm an individual guy, I'm not on a team. I don't have a team under me, um, but I would like to start having, you know, more of a full-time assistant and already got a great transaction coordinator right now, but I think I'm gonna start growing the team. and growing the referral partners in other States. Um, that's one mm. thing I really focused on in 2022 was nice. my Miami Aspen, um, you know, LA, New York markets. I, you know, I really want, I've already got my people there, but you know, just growing those relationships even more. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of people coming in from other States now when they come here, and they want to buy here. They also have friends and family in those states as mm-hmm. well, whether they need help there or here, I can help them. And, you know, my referral partner can help them. So I do a, quite a bit um, just for, I guess, me and three years that I've been doing this, um, you know, referral based business um, into other states. Right. So I, I want to start really maybe taking some time to go visit those cities and getting mm. to learn a lot more about them so that when that client does call, connect them with my referral partner, we're good to go. But I also have enough knowledge and market you know, knowledge that I can have a conversation with them about Aspen. Right. I can talk to them about Miami. I'm not just like, oh, I don't know anything about those cities. But at the same time, really focus and dial in on Dallas, Fort Worth and Texas as a whole. We're growing so big here. I would be stupid to not just really lock in here and just grow it. Um, and then maybe you know, grow a team underneath me um, haven't really made that decision yet, but I think I think it'd be a
0: good idea. Yeah, man. I think you're going nowhere but up and you you know, you can only do so much for everybody. I mean, teamwork makes the dream work and it takes time to get a dream team. Um, I've been there, I'm still doing it, I'm working through it. I think it'll make you better at what you do, but obviously, you know, your demand and your scale is something that you can't hold all by yourself forever, especially if you're looking to go outside the big cities and get stuff done. But I'm super impressed. Um, you know, i got your back. I'm always here to watch your stuff and back in and get, you know, everything sure done, do. whatever we need. So uh dude, this has been incredible. I'm again, I'm just um, thankful that you're on the show. I'm, I'm thankful that I've met you. I'm impressed with all all your stuff. Uh it's gonna be a fun year together. Um, you know, before we head out, a couple quick, quick things. One, uh, if people want to connect with you, social shout out, where should they yeah. follow and connect with you?
1: Instagram's just my first and last name, Chase Duran. Um, we've got TikTok chase duran and then we've got the podcast chase the deal on youtube and instagram where we'll be um doing more on there as well um but that's about it just keep it clean and easy yeah it's good
0: man i'm impressed well i appreciate you being on the show you guys follow him dude he's a young line on the block i'm super impressed for fixing the tariff 24 and 25 so i appreciate it dude to everybody Absolutely. out there thank you guys appreciate for the support you. make sure you and like follow subscribe yeah. this man my, myself we'll see you in the future